The following audio presentation is from Parkwood Baptist Church. The purpose of Parkwood Baptist Church is to glorify God by laboring together for the growth of all believers while going with the gospel to all peoples. More information about Parkwood Baptist Church is available at parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org. Good morning. Welcome. It is good to have you today sharing this time of worship and the study of God's Word together. We're in Galatians chapter 6. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 5 this morning and studying this text together on the subject of bearing one another's burdens. So Galatians chapter 6 verses 1 through 5. I'll invite you if you would to stand as we read the Word of the Lord together. Brothers, if anyone is called in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Let's pray. Lord, we ask now that you would help us as we work through this text, that you would bring application to our hearts, that you would sober us in the responsibility we have as members of the body of Christ to one another. And Lord, that you would call people to faith. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Here's the main idea of our sermon today. That though we will answer to God personally... As followers of Christ, we are to support one another and to bear one another's burdens. So listen carefully to this next sentence. This text deals with personal relationships with fellow believers in the local church. That entire part's crucial. It deals with personal relationships with fellow believers in the local church. So this text, as it is written in the context of Galatians, is not talking about our general responsibility to love our neighbor. It's a broader principle. The Bible teaches that. The scripture here is zoning in on a very specific application that we have as Christians, as followers of Christ, that we are to be in personal relationships with fellow believers in the local church. Now, with that truth in mind, let me confront you culturally for a moment. Fill in the blank on this sentence. Mind your own. You're good Americans, and you at some point in your life have said, mind your own business. Let me say it this way. You we don't want to be messed with. We're quite comfortable just to live our own little individual lives and do our own little individual thing and you leave me alone and I'll leave you alone. So we don't want to be messed with. Number two, we don't like to get messy. We don't like to get our hands dirty. We don't like to get involved in things. It's easier to pass it off to someone else or let somebody else get involved. So with those things in mind, we're talking about personal relationships with fellow believers in the local church and the cultural mentality we have that we don't like to be messed with and we don't like to get messy. Let's hear the word of the Lord. 
First principle we see in this text. Bearing one another's burdens requires loving, active participation. Verse two, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. There's an assumption in this text. It's assuming something that we all have burdens, all of us. James 1, 2 says, consider it pure all joy, brothers, when you encounter various trials, that we're all gonna face burdens in our life. Now we all are born with one burden, the burden of sin. Then as our lives play out, we have the burden as the result of that sin. There are also burdens that come in our life that are simply the result of living in a fallen world, a sinful world, sickness, financial difficulties, job loss, persecution, relationship issues. That's all of the the fact that we live in a sinful world. Now, here's what we got to realize about the sin that we bear. That Christ alone has bore the burden of our sin. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, it says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. We cannot, before God, bear up under our sin. Our sin crushes us. It is a weight that overwhelms us. But Christ on the cross has bore our sins as the sinless sacrifice so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. He brings healing to all who would trust in him by faith alone. So Jesus offers this invitation. Come to me, all who are labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The rest is from the burden of our sin. But we live in a world where the result of sin is affecting the world that we live in. And as followers of Christ, we are commanded to bear one another's burdens that are the result of this broken world. The text says, bear one another's burdens. Now in the original language, it's present active. So it means right now, ongoing imperative command. So let me say this clearly to you. What the Bible is teaching you, Christian, is not optional. You are commanded of God to bear one another's burdens. The command is not to be something that you take up at your convenience. It does not simply mean that we're to tolerate each other or to put up with each other. It means that we are to jointly shoulder each member's burdens. Luther, preaching on this text, said, we as Christians must have big bones and strong legs because together we bear up the burdens of one another. Getting involved in my burdens and your burdens is difficult and messy business. And the only way that I'm going to be actively a part of carrying out this command of God is when I realize that burden bearing is an act of love. He says, and so fulfill the law of Christ. 
I think it's very interesting that Galatians started off with burden, that the burden of the law had been placed on the people by the Judaizers. And, and Paul was telling them, imploring with them, don't take the burden. Now he comes and brings burden and law together in a, in a, in a verse, but here he's teaching a different principle. He's not saying place yourself under the burden of law fulfillment. That's a burden you can never bear. But what he's saying is we should be lifting the burdens off of others. And when we do that, we fulfill the law. What law? The law of Christ. What is that? John chapter 13, verse 34. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. John 15, 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Now, do you hear what Jesus is saying here? When you lose sight of how to love someone or when you lack the motivation to love someone, when you say, he gets on my nerves so bad. Or you say, I cannot believe he's done this again. That's what you need to hear. You need to hear the gracious love of Christ. Who, when we could not help ourselves, he loved us first. The Bible teaches this principle. We love because he first loved us. That means we understand this that we were unlovable, that we didn't deserve it. It is the grace of God then that motivates us to love others just as Christ has loved us. Now this means that we must humble ourselves to let others share our burden. Now if you'll just notice, I just flipped the script there. We went from our responsibility to others and I just changed it. Did you notice? Remember, I started with the assumption we all have what? We all have burdens. So if I'm going to let somebody else share that burden, I'm going to have to humble myself. How's that happen? First Peter chapter five, verse six. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. So we cast our burden, we cast our anxiety, we cast the difficulties of life onto God through prayer according to his word. Now do we just sit back and say, okay, subjectively in some way that I can't see, touch, or feel, God's gonna take care of that burden. I want you to turn with me now to 2 Corinthians. Sorry I've been moving fast and hadn't asked you to turn. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. I would encourage you to do this, if you write in your Bible, to write in the margin 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7 beside of this, that you see how these two things connect biblically. This is Paul writing. He says, for even we, he's talking about the missionary team, for even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were afflicted at every turn, fighting without and fear within. That means Paul was being heavily persecuted because he was preaching the gospel. 
Now, I can imagine these brothers and sisters on this missionary team in Macedonia praying. I can imagine the prayer meeting and the individual times when they went before the Lord and they pled with him. Oh God, you know our burden, you know our need, you know our desire. Now watch how God meets this care. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. And what's fascinating to me is this. It doesn't tell you what Titus did. It simply says he came. But it tells us why he came. Because God was meeting and dealing with the burden of Paul and these other brothers and sisters. What am I saying? I'm saying that what God is teaching us here in the Bible is that the way he meets the burdens of the family of God, members of the family of God, is through other members of the family of God. He sends us to comfort one another. Now, this requires that we humble ourselves to receive it. Not only that, Bearing one another's burdens requires humility, gentleness, and sacrificial service. So let's deal with the heart of the matter here. It's in verse three. If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Tony Marita tells this story. I don't know if it's true. He says it's potentially true. Allegedly, when Muhammad Ali was on his prime, at his prime, he boarded an airplane and sat down in his seat. The stewardess came by as they were about to take off and said, Mr. Ali, you're going to have to buckle your seatbelt, to which he said, Superman don't need no seatbelt. To which she looked at him and said, Superman don't need no plane, so buckle up. (laughs) (laughs) So here's my point. Some of you think you're spiritual Superman. You don't need the church. You got it all together. Got all tied up nice in a bow. Everything's good. And you just wonder, why can't the rest of you people get your stuff together? What's wrong with you? What the scripture's teaching here is, if you think of yourself like that, you're never going to get the help you need. And brother or sister, you need some help if you're in that situation. And you're never going to move toward others to help them. It's our tendency to take the credit for our own accomplishments and not recognize our utter and complete dependence on God's grace and the spirit working through us for anything useful that is done for the Lord. So we must trust him. We must humble ourselves before him. Now, If we're not bearing one another's burdens, it's simply this. It's because we're conceited. We're either above bearing somebody's burdens or we're too good to get involved. We're living in the myth of self-sufficiency. So we need to hear Galatians 5.26 again. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, ending one another, because conceit poisons relationships. Arrogance cuts you off from the people of God. So as I'm preaching this, I realize 
There are two extremes in this room that are the result of personality, they're the result of how you grew up. There's just so many factors. But in this room, you arc in one of two directions. You either arc towards superiority, you're better than others, or you arc toward inferiority of seeing yourself as less. The scripture here is not teaching either one of those. The scripture here is teaching us that we are to see ourselves through grace. For by grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. So don't think any less than you ought to think, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So I'm not better than you. I'm not less than you. I don't have to prove anything to you. I don't have to resent you. I am who I am through Christ the Lord. His grace is sufficient to save and to work in and through our lives. It is the grace of God that humbles us. Now, what we're talking about here and bearing one another's burdens is what's called community or Christian community. And living in Christian community and sharing with one another and at the same time recognizing that we have an individual responsibility is a delicate balance. So what do you mean? You see, people often who are in desperate need can identify themselves as a victim. And when you take on the attitude of a victim, you refuse to be accountable for your actions. That's not what God's teaching here. Also, you can become so focused on the community and others that you forget about your own life and your own decisions before God. Now, Paul knew through the Holy Spirit this tension existed, so he has verse four and five in the text here. Here's what it teaches us, that bearing one another's burdens does not remove personal responsibility before God. But let each one test his own work, then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. This does not mean that you got to compare yourself to other people. That is not what the Bible teaches at all, that you're better or worse. Test, is a, test your own work is a true self-examination. It's not taking a spiritual heartbeat. It's submitting your thoughts, your attitudes, your actions to the will of God, to the mind of Christ that is revealed to us in Holy Scripture. So to test or prove presupposes that there's an external standard or a criteria. That criteria is revealed in the word of God. And what that criteria first revealed about us is that we had all failed. We had all sinned and come short of the glory of God and that we were in desperate need of Christ, that Christ had fulfilled the law on our behalf. So we look to Christ and we believe. But once we look to Christ, Christ works in us and through us. We're no longer ruled by the flesh. We live in the freedom that Christ has set us free, ruled and led by the Spirit. 
So when Paul says here, then his reason to boast will be in himself alone, is he now negating himself in everything he said in Galatians? What does he mean, boasting himself alone? Well, he ties it together in verse 14. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Now, here's what this means. Verse five, each will have to bear his own load. That means you individually are gonna stand before holy God. Your mama, your grandma, or whoever else is the most spiritual influence in your life ain't standing with you. Your church is not standing with you. Your husband or wife not gonna stand with you. You're gonna stand before a holy God on your own. You only have one hope on that day. One, it is Christ. That you have been redeemed in the blood of the lamb. Your boast will be in Jesus, but listen to me. That does not mean that you're going to stand there on that day going, whoa, man, I just barely got in on the skin of my teeth. I just barely got in on this thing. Hear me. That those who have trusted in Christ, that Christ is redeemed and saved, on that day, there will be evidence. There will be evidence that in fact you were converted that you were saved, those things and those things alone that are through Christ will pass through the judgment. The rest of it will burn up. So what are you saying, pastor? Your hope is only in Christ, but if your hope is only in Christ, there will be evidence on that day. That's what I'm saying. Your boast will be in the Lord. Now, Paul teaches this principle of bearing one another's burden and the personal responsibility. But in verse one, he had a very practical application. I saved it till the end because you would have got lost and you would have missed the principles with this application. So now we come to the application and here's the question we're asking. How do I bear the burden of a brother or sister caught up in sin? Now, listen, we're not talking about a lost person here. We're talking about a professing follower of Jesus who's tripped up and now entangled. That's what caught up means. They are entangled in sin. It doesn't mean they've just made a mistake. It means they've tripped back into a, 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 a thing that has bound them up. So he says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. So here's what the Bible's teaching. We cannot ignore someone tangled in sin. This does not mean that we point out every sin in each other's life. Some of you think you're on the righteous police. I'm so honest. No, you're annoying. You don't need to go around and point out every flaw in everybody. This is talking about someone that, that, that has got tangled up in sin. So we need to be careful that we're not quick to criticize, but we also need to be careful that we're not afraid to confront. Matthew 18 is what's being taught here. Let me go and refer back to that. Matthew 18, verse 15. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. 
So that means you don't call for a prayer meeting about Joe because of what Joe's doing before you go talk to Joe. You just go talk to Joe. It's just the two of you. You want to defame Joe anymore? May not be true. But you go to Joe and you find out it is true, but Joe won't repent. He says, if you listen to your brother, you listens to you, you gained your brother. So you hope that's what happens. But if he doesn't listen, you take two, one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. So these are two or three other people that are aware of Joe's sin. So they go with you and you confront Joe. If Joe refuses to listen, then you tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be with you as a Gentile and a tax collector. The goal is not punishment. So the modern mind reads Matthew 18 and says, I can't believe somebody would do this. That's because the only verse in the Bible that anybody believes in the 21st century is don't judge. The Bible's clearly laying out steps for what we do as followers of Christ with one another. The goal is not punishment here. The goal is restoration. If, if he listens to you, you've gained your brother. That's the desire that this person will repent. Now, sadly, some situations lack repentance and lack restoration. Now, I hesitate to do this, but sadly, I'm going to have to warn you. For the first time in a very long time, and actually we have multiple situations, that we're very close that we're going to have to come to the congregation with multiple people who will not repent. It's heartbreaking. Now, you don't need to go out of this room today and go, I wonder who it is. Here's what you need to do. You need to go before God and plead with us that they will repent. They will turn from their sin. That they will listen to these brothers and sisters who are coming to them and pointing out the truth. So here's the question. Who's to get involved in this situation when, when a brother or sister is, is caught up in transgression? The answer is you who are spiritual. You can go, whew, well, I'm out. Well, maybe you need church discipline then. But anyway, ah, ah. Who's spiritual? Galatians chapter five, verse 16 to 26. It's the people who are not walking in their flesh, but they're led by the spirit. It's the normal Christian. It's the believer who's following Jesus. They are the spiritual ones. This is not some elite group of Christians. Paul's not talking about a portion of the congregation. He's talking about the congregation of believers. You who are spiritual, what are you to do? You're to restore. This is getting to why too, but you're to restore. The word restore means to mend or to bring something back to its former position or wholeness or soundness. So let me illustrate. My senior year of high school, uh, my friend Dwight uh, in football season hurt his shoulder and he had pads on when this happened. We really couldn't see what happened. We go to basketball season. So we're, we're, we're practicing basketball and, and Dwight falls at my feet underneath the backboard. He sits up and I look over and his arm is like, it was one of the grossest things at that point in my life. I had, I was like, oh, dude. Now Dwight, where I'm from, 
Dwight grew up on a farm. He's a big old strapping country boy. He stood up and said, hold my arm. <laughs> he put his other one out and showed me one. I was standing there. I could still feel that thing when it popped back in. All right, here's the point. At least Dwight knew his arm was out. What would have been ridiculous is if Dwight would have jumped up and took off down the court. <laughs> now here's what you need to understand about the delusion of sin. Your brothers and sisters running around this church right now like this. And they think the rest of us don't notice. Remember I said it's messy. Dwight, let, let me take your arm. It's painful. It's difficult. It's hard. It's hard for them. It's hard for you. But the goal is restoration. It's to see it mended, put back. So how do you do this? How do, you, how do you go about this? He says, in a spirit of gentleness. So you want to help this brother or sister. You don't want to hurt them. You want to treat them in a way that you would like to be treated, that you need to be treated. You want to treat them with gentleness. Now, gentleness recognizes our own weakness. It recognizes our own propensity to sin. It is a fruit of the spirit. It means quite literally power under control. Very akin to self-control. And let me just say to you, if you've never dealt with somebody who's caught up in sin, I'm just warning you, you're going to need self-control because they will say some of the stupidest things you've ever heard. They will justify themselves. They will argue. They will want to fight. They will lash out at you. They'll tell you every sinful thing you've ever done in the history of their life. And you better pray and ask the Spirit of God to lead you because here's what they want. They want you to fight back so they can walk away and say, that's the meanest church I've ever been to in my life. Those people treated me awful. Nope. Come in the spirit of Christ and gentleness. It's one of the reasons when it heats up, we need two or three. We're praying together. When two or three are gathered together in my name, there's a context there. We're asking God for something here. Holding each other accountable in how we go over this. Here's another way it should be done. Keep watch on yourself lest you be tempted. Now that could mean be careful that you're not tempted into the sin that person's doing. I, I don't think that's the primary meaning. I think what he means is you're not gonna be able to winsomely restore someone if you think you're incapable of sin yourself. Except by the grace of God, there go I. Don't forget this. You're not above it. You're not above it. But here's my prayer. <laughs> I've prayed this. God, if I, 
ever get caught up in sin, please send a brother or sister to me. Please. Don't let me flounder. We keep watch lest we be tempted. There's some big principles here. The big principle is as a Christian in the body of Christ, I am not independent. We are interdependent. The whole body is affected by the sin of another. Your sin affects us. My sin affects us. So if you're the one who is led astray into destructive sin, receive help. It's not just for your good. It's for ours. Now hear me on this. One of the reasons the church is dying in the West, one of the reasons the church is dying in this part of the country is because we've adopted the culture when it comes to this principle. And here's what we've said. Don't judge. So we're turning a deaf ear and a blind eye to sin of people in the church and pretending it not happening and therefore sin's growing like a cancer in the church and it's multiplying and multiplying till we cease to look like the church. This is why Matthew 18 is, is, is important and essential. It's why Galatians 6.1 is essential. But it's all to be done in love. Now, move off that tense moment to the broader moment. And I ask this final question. Am I bearing the burdens of my brothers and sisters who are in time of need? Now we're talking about the effects of living in a fallen world. Romans 15, five to seven. This is a part of your growth group text. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the, the, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. See, Christ is the note that all the instruments of the body of Christ set our instrument to. We're to be in one accord so that we have one voice in harmony glorifying the Lord. That means that we need to bear the burdens of each other with endurance and encouragement. Bearing each other's burden never leaves, it begins and continues with prayer. We pray for each other. We encourage each other, we exhort each other in the word. These are spiritual necessities in bearing burdens. We also meet practical needs. We help with food in times of need or childcare. I think about a Christian counselor about 20 years ago who contracted cancer. He was laying in the hospital bed and the, and the lady from the psych ward came to do the assessment and he stopped her and he said, ma'am, I've done this thousands of times. I'm gonna tell you what I need. You ready? I need my best friend to sit on the end of this bed and shut up. I don't need you to talk to me. I don't need somebody else to talk to me. What I need right now is my best friend right here. You see, sometimes that's all people need. It's just knowing you're there. If you're a member of Parkwood Baptist Church, 
One of the five expectations that you agreed and committed to is this. That you will faithfully study with, pray for, encourage, and assist your brothers and sisters in Christ. Followed by this explanation. That expectation is met in the context of this local church through growth groups. A growth group is not just a study. It's not just a place you go sit down and open your Bible and hear and shut your Bible and get out of there as fast as you possibly can. A growth group is so that we can study with, pray for, encourage. Now these things are all assuming burdens. Do you get it? And assist your brothers and sisters in Christ. Last couple of weeks ago, I was very strong about this and it's upset several people what I said. I hope you understand me now. This is a command of God. This is from him. So let me say it this way, the way we say it in membership. If you're coming to this church and you're not plugging yourself into growth group, look at how many people are in this room. This is the third time today and you find yourself under deep burden and need, you want me to tell you who's coming? Nobody. You know why? Because nobody knows who you are and nobody knows what your need is. Well, I posted it on Facebook. That's so impersonal. You don't need Facebook friends, you need a church. And hear me, the church needs you. This is a reciprocal relationship. I bear your burdens and you bear mine. Let me give you two situations that have played out in the last 30 days in our church. A few Sundays ago, Mandy Robinson had a stroke Tony and his family gathered together at the hospital for some desperate, desperate days. Some great things are going on in Mandy's life right now. She's actually sitting up, communicating. Praise God. Every time I've talked to Tony, you know what he talks about? His growth group. Sadly, a few days later, Renee Powers went in the hospital. Sadly, Tuesday, we will lay her to rest. But every time I've talked to my brother Tim, you know what he talks about? The darkest hour of his life is growth group. You know why we're the body of Christ? Because Jesus said this, this is how the world will know that you are mine. That you love one another. So when you fill up the hospital waiting area and you fill up the driveway outside of somebody's house in the moment of crisis, the neighbors and the friends and the family are watching. What is that? You know what that is? That's the love of Jesus. That's what that is. 
It's different than anything else in the world because Christ is in us, us, and we are in him. We are his children. We are brothers and sisters. Now, maybe your family was dysfunctional. Maybe it didn't play out the way it ought to, but this family's different. This family's for one another because our father is for us. And he sent his son, our big brother, Jesus Christ, to redeem us. And he has transformed us and he has made us into something different than the rest of the world. So I can say to you freely and with conviction, the command of God, bear one another's burdens. I want you to bow your heads where you are. Here's what needs to happen. Some of you, and when we start to sing, need to slip out of your seat and come here and stand or kneel around this altar and allow other brothers and sisters who know you and love you to come close to you and to pray for you. We can't physically meet your needs right now, but we can pray for you. Prayer is essential. Even if nobody knows you here, we invite you to come and to stand at this altar and somebody led by the spirit of God will come stand with you and pray for you. They don't have to know your need. You come. At the same time, there'll be two pastors standing to my right and left. They'll be facing forward. They're there to counsel with people, to pray with people and to talk about what it means to be a follower of Christ. It's my prayer now that we will be the church. That means that we will worship Jesus and we'll care for each other. Lord God, lead this time, we pray. Be glorified in what we say and what we do. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this audio presentation from Parkwood Baptist Church, located in Gastonia, North Carolina. Please feel free to share this message with others. For more information about Parkwood Baptist Church, visit parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org.